Good morning. It is good having you at Central Church of the Nazarene. We've had a great week. Today, we're wrapping up a sermon series that we called Flipped. And the reason we called it Flipped, it's because Jesus kind of flips our thinking from what we normally think. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you are, when you are lied about. Blessed are you, who, not cursed. Why? Because God's got a big plan. I don't think most of us have been persecuted for our faith too much here in America. Not compared to other places. Certainly not compared to some of the stories in the Bible. The Bible, there, there's some powerful stories of people who went through deep persecution. Severely persecuted for their faith. Hebrews 11 is a great faith chapter. If you've ever read Hebrews 11, it's an awesome, awesome chapter of, of, of how God's power worked through people in the Old Testament in great and wonderful ways. And there's stories of kingdoms won and, and lions muzzled and flames quenched and, and weaknesses turned to strength and, and enemies routed, even the dead being raised. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful book. Of, of how God worked in some of those Old Testament heroes' lives. But right in the middle of it, in verse 35, in fact, right after just talking about the dead being raised, powerful, the author of Hebrews writes this, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They were sawed in two. These aren't the rejects. These aren't the losers. The author of Hebrews says they were commended for their faith. It's not like these were, you know, such big doubting people and saying, you know, Lord, I'm full of doubts. I know you can't help me anyway. And God said, I'm not going to help you. You're full of doubts. Forget it. No, they're commended for their faith. But the author says they weren't rescued from their troubles. I'm not sure if they were thinking of Jesus' beatitude. Be happy, be very glad as they're being sought into. Maybe they were. Maybe they were thinking of that. Or maybe they were thinking of Nehemiah 8, 10, when it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And even in the midst of this persecution, I'm going to stand strong. Maybe they were like Jeremiah. Remember, Jesus said that, that they were, you'll be persecuted like some of the prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is one of those prophets. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, and he was known as the weeping prophet, the crybaby prophet, because he had a lot to cry over. He was a prophet of God when it wasn't very easy to be a prophet of God. In fact, he led a pretty difficult life, and in chapter 20, he reaches the end of his rope, really. In chapter 20, the the chief priest, you would think that'd be a good guy, but it's a bad guy, the chief priest Uh, beats up poor Jeremiah, throws him in stocks in a torture chamber. His hands, his feet, his neck are all chained to this torturous device. In his crime, what did he do to deserve this? He was just speaking the truth. To make matters worse, his former friends had given him a nickname, and the nickname was Magor Masaib. Magor Masaib means terror on all sides. They were calling him a terrorist. 
That's your problem, Jeremiah. You're a terrorist. That's why you're going through all this. You are, you are a mess. And old Jeremiah, by chapter 20, has had enough of it. Here he is. He's, he's in stocks. His friends have left him. He's, he's, he didn't get the memo. Jesus hadn't said these words yet. Be happy. Be very glad when people lie about you and say rumors about you and persecute you. He didn't get that memo. In fact, Jeremiah is a little upset. And basically he says, God, what, what in the world is going on here? I, I've been doing what you wanted me to do. I've been telling the truth. I've been, I've been following your instructions to the T. And for my thanks, for the reward, what do I get? I'm in stocks. I'm in this torture chamber. My friends are calling me little junior Osama bin Laden. I've had it. In verse 9 of that passage, he says this, I will not make mention of him, speaking of God, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more of his name. He's saying, that's it. I quit. Where's the letter of resignation? I'm going to sign. I'm through. But as soon as those words leave his lips, Jeremiah can't escape what he knows deep in his heart. And the rest of that verse 9 in chapter 20 says this, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah got it. He said, I may be discouraged, and maybe they've beat me, and, and they've insulted me, and they've lied about me, and, they, and they've said all this, and they got me to the point where I said, I'm done. But I can't escape who God is, and I can't escape what God is doing, and it's like a fire in my bones, and I've got to let it out. Doesn't mean it's easy. And when Jesus said, you'll be persecuted, it doesn't mean that's easy. He didn't say that we'd love it. He said, be happy about it. Be very glad. Not, not glad about those liars. Not glad about the people who are, 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 are persecuting you. But he said, be very glad. Why? Because great is your reward that awaits you. The point? Even when we're persecuted for Jesus' sake, it won't last. It's not the end it doesn't have the final word. That, 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 that trouble doesn't have the final word. There's a great big eternity out there. And we need to keep our eyes on the prize. God has the big picture in mind. So often we focus in on the immediate. John the Baptist was in the same boat. John the Baptist, you remember, he, he discovered the truth that Jeremiah discovered, the truth that those people in Hebrews 11 discovered. And that was that life isn't always easy. He knew a thing or two about persecution. In fact, in Matthew chapter 14, John the Baptist is sitting in a, a, a dungeon. No longer is he out in the wilderness eating bugs and wearing his weird clothes. Now he's sitting in a dungeon. His crime? Well, it was the same crime as Jeremiah. He was telling the truth. He was calling sin, sin. In his case, the sin he was calling out was King Herod's sin. And to make a long story, not ready for prime time story, when we have, you know, family first Sunday, it's, uh, it's not P rated PG, it's rated R. He dumped his wife, got his brother's wife, started treating her like she was his wife, moved her into the palace. And, and John the Baptist said, in no uncertain terms, this is not right. This is, this is, this is not Okay. It's not okay to dump your wife and take on your brother's wife. It's not okay to commit adultery. It's not okay to act like you can live in sin and God will wink at that. It's in no uncertain terms, it is not okay. God will not stand for it. God will not put up with it. It is not okay. 
Sometimes Christians need to say that when faced. Even if powerful people need to say, it is not okay to live in sin. Well, Mrs. Herod, the new Mrs. Herod, not the old Mrs. Herod, the new Mrs. Herod didn't like, you know, uh, being called an adulteress, didn't like that John the Baptist was, was calling them out for that, and so she had him tossed in the slammer. And then she gets her equally unethical daughter to do a little dance for Drill Bucket Herod. And it must have been some kind of dance because at the end of the dance he said, Wow! You know, you can have anything you want in this kingdom. Wow, what a dance. I don't know what kind of dance that was. I don't think any of us should watch that kind of dance. It probably involved a pole, but I don't know. It was a bad dance. Because he said, you didn't have anything. Have it all. Woo! And at her mom's urging, she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. The, the story reeks with inequality. John dies because Herod lusts. The good is murdered and the wicked smirk. The man of God is killed. The man of passion winks at his niece. Is this how God rewards his children? Is this, is this how God honors faithfulness? A guy like John the Baptist? And John the Baptist maybe was asking some of those questions himself. In fact, a few chapters earlier in Matthew 11... John is still sitting in the dungeon, same dungeon in which he would die. And in John chapter 11, John knew, John the Baptist knew, that the life expectancy of those in the dungeon who called out the king for sinful behavior wasn't very long. And so so he gets some of his disciples to go to Jesus. Because John no doubt had been praying, Lord, get me out of this dungeon, and he's still in the dungeon. And so he gets some of his disciples to go to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the one or is there somebody else coming? Because because it seemed like, probably from John the the Baptist's perspective, he'd been praying, I need to be released, I'm in this dungeon, Herod's going to get me. It seemed like Jesus was just going about his business. And no one was answering John's prayers. And so he gets a couple of his fellows to go to Jesus and say, say, Jesus, you know, we, John's in, in the dungeon, and he's wondering, he's got a big question for you, and that is, are you the one or should we expect someone else? Because he's been praying, and he's still there, and you're acting like it's no big deal. Now, had the Bible been written by spin doctors or PR people, this story never would have made it into the Bible. Because it's not good PR to have one of your leading voices, John the Baptist, Uh, admitting to having serious doubts about Jesus. I mean, you'd think they'd present this united front. But the Bible wasn't written by spin doctors or public relations gurus. The Bible was was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, And the Holy Spirit, God's word, understands that sometimes even good, good, good disciples grow weary. And sometimes even good, good disciples can have doubts. And can scratch their head and can say, what in the world is is going on here? Because I've been praying and I've been asking God to release me and I'm still sitting in this dungeon and it doesn't look very good for me. And in fact, it isn't very good for him because a couple chapters later, he's going to have his head chopped off. See, this beatitude that we're looking at today says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And that was true for Jeremiah, and that was true for those people in Hebrews chapter 11, and that's true for John the Baptist, and that's true for you and me. But that doesn't mean that it's always easy. Jeremiah was beaten by the chief priest. And, and now, now, the, now the chief priest, there isn't any chief priest around, so you, know, you don't have to worry about that. And there isn't a King Herod around, they're not going to throw you in the slammer, you don't have to worry about that. But I think there's the lessons here are when we're in tough situations... When we've been praying and praying and praying and it doesn't seem like God is answering. When we're faced with a lot of doubts and we say, why in the world aren't you answering this prayer? It seems like John the Baptist can help us. Because again, John sends his disciples to, John, to Jesus and said, you know, obviously the best thing for me is if getting me out of this dungeon so I can go back to the wilderness and eat my bugs and tell people about you, Jesus, and I can be a great help to you, and so I don't know why you're not doing what, what, what you want me to do. And Jesus' response to this question from these disciples of John's is simply this. In Matthew 11, verse 5, he says, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those that have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, good news is being preached to the poor. You go back and tell John that there are some folks who've sold their C&I dogs and have taken up bird watching. You, you go back and tell John that there are some folks that have, have thrown away their aluminum walkers and, are, and, and, and have bought some hiking boots. You go back and tell John That there have been people who have been so sick and filled with leprosy and now they're clean as a whistle. You go back and tell John that the kingdom of God is happening. Even the dead are being raised. You go back and tell John that good news is coming even to the poor. Good news is coming even to those that the rest of society said are worthless and and, and are throw out people. They're not worthless. They're not throw out. I'm reaching them. The good news is happening. You go back and tell John that. Notice what Jesus didn't say. These disciples come to him. Are you the one? I know, I know, I know. When I baptized you, when John baptized you, you know, I heard that voice from heaven saying, saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. They know all about them, but are you really the one? And Jesus didn't say to these guys, you go back and tell that locust breath, John the Baptist, that he's a goober, and if he's going to have doubts like that, well, then he can just rot in that dungeon. Jesus didn't say that. In fact, what he says in verse 11 is there's nobody been like John the Baptist and he's the best there is, the the, the greatest that's ever been born of a woman. But also notice, Jesus didn't go and rescue John out of that dungeon. See, the, the one who walked on water certainly could have walked on over to that palace and told Herod, John's coming with me. And the one who cast demons out of, 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 the, of the demonic and time and time again certainly could have got John out of that dungeon. But instead, he gave John a message. The blind, the crippled, the, the lepers, the, the dead, those that society has tossed aside, they're being loved. They're being healed. The kingdom is being built. Good things are happening. There's love. There's hope. You go back and tell John that. 
You go back and tell John exactly what you've seen and tell him exactly what you've heard. Go and talk to a few blind folks, some former blind folks. Go and back and talk to a few former lepers. You go and talk to some of those people that got that free bread and fish lunch. You go back and tell John that. Now, the Bible doesn't record what John's response was. But I think the way Jesus talked about John, faithful, nobody better. I think when those disciples went back and said, hey, we talked to Jesus, and we, and we said, why is John still in the dungeon? And Jesus said, said that, that the blind are being, being able to see, and the dead are even walking, and there's lepers are better, and, and, and the good news is being preached to the poor, and good things are happening. John got it, just like Jeremiah got it. Just like those people in Hebrews 11 got it. There's a fire in my bones. I don't think that meant that he was stopped praying to get out. But now it wasn't, Lord, get me out of here so I can save my neck. But now it was, I want to be out there because that's where the action is. And I want to be by Jesus. And I want to see him raise the dead. And I want to see him cleanse the leper. And I want to see him make the blind see. And I want to be a part of the action. It wasn't to save his own neck. Now he's praying, Lord, I got to get out there, man. There's too many good things happening. I want to be out there where the action is. I think, I think John was a lot like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those, the, the three guys who, when they were threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace, you remember what they told King Nebuchadnezzar? They said, if we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. God can take us out of that fiery furnace, buddy. But I love what they said next. But even if he does not, Even if God says, boys, it's come to be with me time. Even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We're trusting in God. We're not trusting in you. I think that's where John the Baptist was, and that's where Jeremiah was, and that's where those people in Hebrews 11 were. It wasn't making it easy. And Jesus doesn't say, say, God blesses those who are persecuted because it's easy. There's tough days sometimes, troubling moments. But the point is, they don't last forever. God is in control every single time. God is in control, and God wins every single time. See, that's good to remember when you're in the middle of a problem. That's good to remember when you get the temptation to feel like God isn't hearing your prayers. You've asked for for a child and the nursery's still empty. You've asked for healing and you're still hurting. You've asked for for a rescue and you're still, still out there. It's good to remember when you don't see those good things happening, don't think for a moment that God doesn't hear or God doesn't care or God doesn't have a plan. You can always trust him. In terms of Jeremiah and the torture chamber, John the Baptist losing his head, or compared to those folks in Hebrews 11, our persecution, it's really not on that same level. I understand that. Compared to some Christians in the world today, I read in in Christianity Today, and they stated 215 million Christians right now, 215 million, are in either extremely high, very high, or extreme persecution. North Korea remains the most dangerous place to be a Christian for the last 14 straight years. There are plenty of Christians being persecuted for their faith today. And I'm not comparing our situations to those in in China or North Korea or Iran like my friend Sharo. But I want you to know when I'm hurting, 
when I get consumed with a situation, when, when we've prayed and prayed and prayed and we don't see how in the world God's going to work in the middle of this situation, this beatitude is saying, you are blessed. Why? Because God is at work. It says, Christians, you may go through the fire and you may go through rough times, but hang on. The kingdom of heaven, hang on. One way or another, God is working. Jesus didn't say, remember, Jesus didn't say, blessed are those of you who are persecuted because I'm gonna just you know, rescue you when it gets really, really bad. He didn't say that. He didn't say, blessed are you who are persecuted because, because it's, it's really, I'm gonna somehow you know, just pluck you out right at the nick of time. He didn't even say that. Had that been the case, Jeremiah wouldn't have been known as the weeping prophet. He would have been known as the laughing prophet. And John the Baptist wouldn't have had his head chopped off. And those other people in Hebrews 11 would never have, have, have faced the persecution they did. And the countless other millions of Christians who have, who, have, who have died for their faith, martyrs for their faith, wouldn't have gone through what they went through. But the point is, when, 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 when we have our backs up against the wall, and when we don't know what's going on, and Jesus promises that it's not easy always. Sometimes it's tough. I wish he would, did you hear what he said in this passage? He says, when, when you are persecuted, I wish he would have said if, in that strange, weird event that you might happen to be persecuted, in that very rare opportunity that you're persecuted, be happy, very, very good. He didn't say that. He said when. When you're persecuted for my sake, when people lie about you, insult you, say all sorts of evil against you, when, when, when that happens, not if, when, you are blessed, you are not cursed, you are blessed. How in the world can I be, can I be blessed about that? How in the world can I be happy about that? How in the world can I be very glad about that? I think the answer to that question is remembering who's writing this gospel. It's a guy by the name of Matthew. And remember, Matthew isn't right. He's not like a newspaper reporter writing on that day's events. He's writing years, decades after Jesus. Decades after Jesus died on a cross and was raised from the dead. After he, all, after he with his own eyes, with Matthew's own eyes, saw the resurrected Jesus. So he's saying to these folks who are going through struggles and problems and persecution and having lies being told about them and all sorts of evil spread against them, to those people Matthew is writing and saying, listen, Jesus is the one that said this. And Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. Why? He went through the same thing. He was lied about. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was crucified. And Satan himself couldn't keep him in the grave because Jesus has the last word. Jesus always has the last word. And when you're going through trouble, when, you, when your back is up against the wall, when you're thinking that God doesn't hear what's going on in your life, when you're thinking that God doesn't care about what's going on in your life, remember, hold on, Matthew is saying. Jesus is saying, hold on. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you are, when you are lied about. Blessed are you, who, not cursed. Why? Because God's got a big plan, and you're part of it. And the one who defeated death will be there for you. The one who defeated the grave will be there for you.